You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. You know, you can't you can't turn on the TV, you can't open up a newspaper, you, you can't turn on the radio, you can't go online and social media nowadays and not hear discussions about artificial intelligence, innovation, uh, electrification of transportation. Uh, of course, we could go into the Green New Deal, all those kind of things. But the point is, innovation right now is maybe at the most heightened level that, that I'm aware of during the past 10, 15 years. And that's just the nature of the beast because of the speed of change in that industry. And I've been, uh, you know, someone that follows it for a variety of reasons the past 10 years, primarily because of my previous career. And it's as important as it is, most of us sit on the sidelines, really not understanding how it's impacting us, or maybe not understanding the potential future impacts that it has on us. Some of it's great, some of it's good, some of it we don't know yet. But today I'm thrilled to have uh, on Mike Seminary and Friends someone that's in, in the thick of it and has been, I believe, his entire professional career. And like most folks that I know that are involved in innovation, they kind of have rural roots. And I don't know if that's because farmers and folks in, in rural parts of our country They've been the innovator, innovators since day one. If, if they're not innovating, they're probably in trouble on the farm anyway. Almost every farmer I know, is, whether they went to high school or college or not, they're some of the best engineers I've ever met. They know more about water than anybody I've ever known. And they're constantly improving equipment because they have to. And they do it on their own because time is of the essence. And... Today, my guest has been involved uh, really on a global level, and he's a North Dakota native. And so it gives me great pleasure to welcome to Mike's seminary and friends, Joe Honeyman, who's the vice president of global innovation for Doosan Bobcat. Joel, it's great to see you. Welcome to Mike's seminary and friends. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for taking time. I know you're awfully busy. We had the pleasure of meeting of me anyway the pleasure of meeting about six years ago when you were a guest uh, speaker at Disruptwell an innovation and technology conference that used to take place in Bismarck and I learned a lot about you and what uh, Dusan Bobcat's doing and your company man that 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 is a company that is making significant changes um, almost on a daily basis and has great great impacts. But before we get into that, I've always been curious, Joel, about um, people that go into engineering education. Were were you, as a, a kid in high school or even before that, did you know that you wanted to be involved in engineering? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, uh, I still question that today. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> you know, I, I have an engineer, I have a mechanical engineering degree. Um, but I, I think when I look back, um, I also recognize that maybe being a diehard engineer wasn't going to be the best thing for me. So I went and got a master's degree in economics um, following on that because I, I felt more about the business, the business side 
of of whatever I was going to work on, and so I chose I, I I chose that path, and I think it's helped me, um, you know, throughout my career to being able to look at different things and analyze different things, maybe with a little bit different lens than uh, maybe some traditional people do. But um, yeah, so I play engineer uh, occasionally. My team reminds me of that just occasionally, though. <laughs> in your in your career at, at Dusan Bobcat. Have have you been involved in the actual engineering at all the past ten or fifteen years, or is it all on the innovation, the marketing, and sales side? Well, it actually has really mostly been on the um, training, development, and sales side. So I, when I got with the company, I started and hard to believe 26, 26 years ago. My first project was to create the intranet with our dealers that we called Bobcat DealerNet. That was my first job because there was this new thing called the internet and we were going to communicate with our dealers. And, and, and I still tell the story of the first electronic price pages we printed in a new format called an Adobe PDF 1.0. <laughs> and to this day, I wish I would have invested in Adobe. Um, cause I had a couple of different choices of technology and I picked that one, um, back in the day, but. Anyway, then I, I went through the sales ranks within our organization and I ran America for 10 years. And then slowly I moved back over to the product group. Um, so I managed our product management group for a couple of years. And then in 2016 and 17, we started in earnest about an innovation journey at Bobcat and really focusing more on the new emerging technologies, you know, that, that you speak about on your podcast. And so to become more dedicated, and it was kind of my part-time job. I still was doing some commercial things, and then in 2018, it they you know the organization or our our boss said, "Hey, you need to do this full time." And so I focused, started in 2018, dedicated to what we call innovation, um, as a small group within Bobcat. And I'm glad you brought that up because in, in probably in a couple of questions from now, I want to talk about, or at least as much as you can about the acceleration center over in uh, Bismarck. And I, I know that you have other centers that are dedicated to digital uh, acceleration, et cetera, et cetera. But I wanna go back kind of to the roots of the company. What a lot of people might not know is that, I think it's about 80 years ago or so, Mr. Melro started his company, manufacturing company, really kind of helping farmers um, mm -hmm. gather grain and get it into the combine. And then as you move forward, I think it was the, I can't remember their last name, Cyril and Lewis. Kel, the Keller brothers. The Keller brothers, thank you. They kind of teamed up and uh, they, they were interested because they were blacksmiths. They were building equipment to help farmers remove snow funny that you got to move snow in North Dakota, Minnesota, or up in the Midwest, right? And you move forward, uh, you know, 75 years later, here's this incredible company that has these really unique local uh, roots that are attached to agriculture, blacksmithing. I don't know if any of those folks were engineers necessarily at the time, but over time, some of the most gifted brilliant innovators and engineers are part of part of your company. And so before I go to 
the acceleration center, I, I'm just kind of curious in terms of the, the lay of the land, if if you off the top of your head know this, how how many engineering types are involved in your company worldwide, if that's a fair question to ask? Mm-hmm. Because you guys are in innovation is at the at the end of the day that's that's the cornerstone mm-hmm. of your company innovation and you do incredible things. How, how many are uh, design engineers, if you will? Well, I want to say about a third of our workforce is dedicated engineering of our salaried of our salaried workforce. But you know, I'm quick to point out it's not just right. It's not just engineers. It's the for people that do all the purchasing and the procurement and. And then all the marketing people. And then we have all of our operations people and the people in our factory. You know, we, it takes the whole team, not just, not just the engineers part of it to being able to build this great product like we have for more than 65 years. And I think that's why we're focused and keep thinking about new technologies because we understand our roots. We understand how this was born out 65 years ago. And I think our, our forefathers would be disappointed if we didn't react with the times and keep innovating with the product. And as you know, if you don't, you get disintermediated. Like you'll right. leave them, someone will come along and you'll, it's a global market we're in. And so and there's big players and they're waking up every day trying to topple us. And so you have to got to stay on your toes and stay on your edge for continuing to find new technologies along the way. Is it a safe statement for me to say that your company invented the compact equipment industry. Is that? That's that a, yeah, well? that's a, yep, that is fair to say. Yep. Yeah. So when the, the Melrose company, you know, purchased that um, product from Keller Brothers and they really accelerated the manufacture of that and that created that whole industry, which now copied lots of people are in this industry and, big name players and but yes we were the originators of the industry in terms of market share if you're if if you're allowed to discuss these types of things do, do you have a significant ownership of that space to this day we do it's very we have a very sizable market share okay. i'll leave it at that good that's a nice smile that you just gave me too so i'm i'm assuming that's a pretty good deal but let's let's move to the acceleration center because that's where I got I I really got to know some folks in your your company and became somewhat aware I have to say somewhat of the incredibly talented people that you have at least in in that center um, and and not everybody gets to get a tour of that incredible facility. And I'll never forget, Joel. I'll never forget the first time, I think it was the ribbon cutting day, uh, where I was given a tour. And to this day, I get giddy about how that place is set up, how the innovation piece where there's this big chunk of dirt under a roof, and you get to watch pieces of equipment that are being tested and how well they work and then walk through the facility and see the engagement and the collaboration. And and, and then there's this room where it's, it's a circle and the whole room is like a, a whiteboard where that's where people go in and create ideas. 
that is the neatest facility I have ever seen in my life. So, so I teed it up. Here's my first question. How long did it take to design that incredible center where people are just cranking out amazing stuff? That was a multi-year project for us to being able to create that center. And what you described was very culturally changing for us. So, and what your viewers don't know, but I can share, is there are no offices in this facility. There are no assigned desks. So there's no hierarchy. There's there's no no different types of authority or anything like that. And we did that on purpose because we just want people to go where the work is, is our mindset and our attitude. So whether you're a vice president or whether you're a manager or an individual contributor, you go where your job is expected to be within the facility that day. Everybody packs up their things every day, puts them back in a locker, takes them home with them. It has more of a campus style feel from that standpoint. And because of that, it allowed us and these teams to cross-function, to be cross-functional more so on different projects. So the if the hydraulics team needs to work on a project with the electrical team, and then they can all sit together and vice versa, and you don't have to rearrange the cubes and all these other things. It just, it took all of that away. And then we allowed more places for people to do cross-functional things like a big cafeteria and soft seating and different areas. It's kind of has a little bit of a campus feel to it, like a college, like a college union, you'd say. And so that's really benefited us. And we really, we would never go back. You know, the employees, it took us several years and we surveyed them before. They they hated the idea and <laughs> surveyed them a year later and they said, well, we would never go back to what that was. And that was a long journey um, for us and difficult, but we had a lot of change management along the way. And, but we feel like it's really served us well because all of our R&D, our main R&D for our company is done in Bismarck, essentially, um, within that facility. And and so we had to be top-notch again. We're a global player. And so we got to be at the top of our game every day. And that facility helps us with that. I, I, I'm going to repeat what I heard towards the end of that. All of the innovation for the global company takes place in, well, maybe that's a stretch. In, in Bismarck, because you have a huge global footprint. Well, so let me, uh, I'll clarify. It's the main R&D facility. Okay. So our R&D, but like say innovation happens everywhere and sure. everybody has to have, you know, a hand in it. But, you know, Gwinner is more of the sustaining parts of it. So our sustaining engineering, we have some, some of that engineering is here in Fargo or, you know, by, by our headquarters and our downtown facility. But a lot of the main R&D projects are all led within within the Bismarck facility. And the, the right statement would be said is pretty much all of our Bobcat branded development, R&D development, is done in the state of North Dakota. Okay. I mean, that is um, every day people wake up to a multi-billion dollar company here in North Dakota, and this is our development. We do. I, I need to ask this question as someone that worked with engineers for the better part of 18 years, I guess. You know, some engineers, and I have them in my family, some engineers change isn't their strong suit. Let me put it that way. And there's a reason for that, because of how engineers think about things in front of them in terms of how they approach projects, problems, and how they want to solve them. So if somebody comes to them and say, you know, tomorrow. That office that you have is not going to be your office anymore. In fact, you're going to work 
you're you're going to be able to move around and other people are going to move around. What was the adjustment period from having offices and desks and all of that? Is that adjustment period a full year, do you think, or maybe less? Well, it was a little different. What what we actually did was in our old facility in Bismarck, which was very old and antiquated, we actually built a mock set of what the new desks, what the new everything was going to be. And we had employees here, go sit here and you tell us what you think, because this is what it's going to be. So we made the experience. So when we actually opened up, and this was in 2015, we opened that facility, we didn't get a lot of complaints because everyone knew this was what it was going to be. And we've changed some rules along the way, but the facility itself essentially has not changed since then. And so that helped us to being able to talk in advance. But certainly down the path, six months, people are asking some questions and things. But again, we had a lot of conversation in advance with people like, we have to do this. This is important for our future, not just for the facility, but to build our culture to do things differently and more fa- and faster. That was all. That's always what we're about here: is how do we do things faster? How do we build the best product as fast as we can? And so, the facility and the cultural things that came along with enabled that. Mm. That's brilliant because you get you get somebody first gives they're provided an opportunity to start getting a sense of how this might be mm-hmm. and that provides input and feedback, which ultimately leads to buy-in, if you will. And so that, sure. that was brilliant. This this wasn't a question I planned on asking, but it, it just occurred to me as you were covering that, Joel. So you have this global f- footprint. I don't even know how many offices. Let's just say somewhere between 20 and 25. Maybe it's more locations, not offices, but... Mm-hmm literally all over the world. When COVID hit, so you have a lot of the operations in North Dakota. In fact, this is where it was established in terms of the original company, but now uh, it's Doosan Bobcat. So there's the Korean influence. And COVID was handled differently in North Dakota than a lot of other places. How, how did how did that change communication, um, manufacturing, all, all of that, because it's not like everything would be done by Zoom in a manufacturing right. facility. How, how did that right. How did that change or impact you? Well, I mean, it was a significant change, right? I mean, it was the lockdown and, and then there was all the, you know, the, you know, the protection for employees and that, and then bringing in the PPE and the materials for, you know, our factory people and that. So there was certainly an adjustment period, but you know, our HR and operations people did a really good job of staying on top of it. What did the CDC recommend? Okay, then that's what we're going to do. And we tried to adhere as much as we could to that and then listen to our employees for what they're telling us. But we we managed through it, uh, I think, fairly well. Um, and then we had employees come back um, within the office rather quickly. Um, and that was, we gave people a choice um, from, a, from an office standpoint. And a lot of people returned. And so it was, you know, it was a step-by-step thing. I think all companies went through, sure. you know, a similar process, but you deal with it, you manage it. And to your point, we can't do these things on Zoom, right. <laughs> Zoom or team calls. We build real things and you're bending and cutting metal and welding. You know, you need people there to do that. Well, I first met you at in Bismarck for the Disrupt Well 
uh, conference where this was all about disrupting disruptive technologies. And so you're, uh, you know, obviously you have been involved in that a long time. But I, I first want to talk about EV, the electrification of, of some of your models. In fact, I, I just went the S7X, mm -hmm. where you introduced that at Con Expo. And it's just yep. a rave review. So walk me through, um, if you if you can, how long that was on the drawing board, how long it took to um, have a functioning model that would be for sale, and and then when did you you first start thinking about you know we're going to switch to electrified uh, equipment. Mm. Well, if we go back to 2019, that was when we first started talking about electrified equipment and we knew things were coming on. So, and again, innovation team, you know, we kind of work on the, on the real crazy kinds of ideas. And so our team sat back and we looked at, you know, we could just take a diesel product and remove the engine and then stick a battery in it. And there, it's an electric machine. But we took a step back to take a look at what other technologies and other solutions could we apply and could that give us an even better solution? And so at the end of 2019, our team got together and our lead engineer who works who works for me said, hey, you know what? We're going to make this thing all electric. We went out, we saw um, in the aerospace industry, we saw electric actuation. And we think if we put this on a machine and get rid of all the hydraulics and put all this together in one platform, we can do so many things with software and all this other stuff. And so they said, we want to build a prototype. And I said, go for it. Let's build a prototype. And they did this in about 60 days. They built this first prototype, took a current machine, stripped her down. Uh, we had a development partner out in Buffalo, New York that helped us with this. And they're a supplier for some of the components. And there was a lot of skepticism internally. It's never going to move. It won't turn. It can't perform like internal. And so, and then the, this is how innovation works. So then we invite the CEO, our CEO and the CEO of the company out east, Moog, who's helping us with this. We invite all of them to Fargo. And because we tried it, like this thing works. And it worked. Like it drove around. It, the lift arm went up and down. We started testing the battery and how long a battery lasts. And everybody just got really excited and said, we need to do this because it can be done. And then we talked about the possibilities. So then we worked through that process and worked with customers until we got to the, the T7X was the first one we launched. And we launched that um, essentially last year at our, at our, our yeah, at the CES show um, and then started starting to sell that. And now the S7X, the Skidster version is coming online as well. But that whole process though around taking some chances with different technologies really enabled us to come up with a totally different solution. Now, is that the solution for everything? Probably not, but it really helped put us out there with a different type of product and something that can just be really, really unique, but really, really beneficial to those customers who are asking for that technology. At Con Expo, Joel, did did your competitors have something similar? Were you, or were you first out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're first out. There hasn't. Nobody has announced. I'm certain they're working on it. But okay. yeah, we're we've we surprised a lot of people. Our supply base was asking us questions. Of course, we build a lot of hydraulic things. And I'm 
I'm quick to point out, we are going to build diesel hydraulic machines for a very long time. Like they're not going away. Right. However, there are customers who want this technology, who are asking for this type of solution. And so we're providing it to them. And yeah, there's there's nobody that we know of that's working in this to the to the degree we are on it. You guys are just amazing. So the fully charged, how long does it operate? How long does it take to to recharge? And is it kind of like your electric car? You just plug it in or do you have to remove the mm -hmm. battery? How does it work? So the track loader version, it'll run for a max of four hours continuously. Now I will, I always have to have this caveat because I get asked this question. So an electric machine, there's no idle. So a diesel machine, they're idling. People are getting it out of the machine. An electric machine only consumes energy when someone's moving the joysticks of that machine. So when they're driving it or they're using the, the work group, the lift or the tilt, it consumes electric energy. So I don't think contractors always realize the time that's burning idle time and they're getting and out of the machine. Well, you're not consuming energy. So they hear, oh, four hours, I got to work all day. Well, in a typical work day, uh, customers may only use their machine several hours. They're actually engaging the machine. And so we, we say that that four hours will cover that. Now, what's interesting about the skid steer, because we don't have those big tracks to turn, we consume much less power. We can go up to eight hours on a single charge with that. And it takes 10 hours to charge overnight. It's a, what we call a type two automotive charge. It's pretty standard automotive charger. You just plug in and you can charge this thing, charge these things overnight. Um, so that's, that's the, that's the battery technology behind it. Let's talk about autonomous. Um, Cause I'm assuming like any industry that involves transportation or equipment that it, it is deployed for one reason or another. You're having those those discussions. Are, are you are you you're working on autonomous vehicles as well? Yes, we are. Yep, we sure are. We're and we started to launch some of the um, enabling pieces. We call them for autonomy. So we we launched a an iPhone remote control and iOS remote control for our loader products. It just plugs into any loader going back to 2004. Uh, that has our joystick controls on it. And that's just one piece. So once you have that controller and then you add some other technology on top, then you can start moving things automatically. We have a radar sensor we're working on for object avoidance. So when you back up, this will detect objects and alert the operator and even stop or derate the machine. Um, so that's another piece. So you combine these things together and suddenly you can have automated functionality along the way. Um, I am quick to point out that our products are used every day in every different situation, every different soil condition. You know, every job site is different. And that's where it's a little different than automotive autonomy. Because automotive, you just cared whether you got from point A to point B. Well, going from point A to point B isn't really something we do in construction. We're doing a, a job or a task. And so building those individual things autonomously is going to take a little bit more time. But we're enabling these different pieces right now for us to to being able to do autonomy. Uh, the first product we've announced that we're gonna publicly launch is an autonomous mower, a commercial mower uh, with autonomy on it. And that will mow automatically, go up and down, um, sense objects, you can designate points and go around them. It's really cool, really cool technology, very simple um, to use. And so we made an investment in a, in a startup down in Atlanta, Georgia to help us facilitate that uh, solution. But that'll be our first one that we're going to start start with. 
when you say commercial mower, for example, a park and rec department would be a mm-hmm. candidate for this new right. commercial. Okay. Or an airport authority. Airport. We get lots of calls from airports because they got lots of miles to mow. And if they could just send a mower, couple, two, three mowers out there with one person watching, um, it would make their jobs easier. So, since you just said that, out of curiosity, customer input, that must drive, or customer inquiries, or that must drive a lot of the innovation discussions that take place internally to determine this makes sense or maybe not based on what we're doing. So you mm-hmm. welcome a lot of that. And then how do you how do you use that when you're for your team to start working on a prospective mm-hmm. new model of something? So, yeah, we, we do use a lot of that. Um, what we try to do is we build a lot of really quick prototypes and some of them are built out of cardboard and wood. And so we're testing a lot of different things against that customer base because it's uh, sometimes it's not all unified. You get one email well, is this representative or is it just one person looking for something? And so we're careful to kind of sort through that. But what we like to do is let's, let's quickly build something like the all electric order. Once we built the first prototype, we showed it to some big customers and they were like, yeah, we want that. Great. Or there's customer. Mm, no, don't want. And we showed some things They're like, no, not for us. Not ready. Okay. We're good. We'll pivot off of that. We'll go work on something else. So sorting through that is what is what our process is in looking at. If you look at lots of different things and test them across lots of customers, and then you sort through which is the two or three that are meaningful, you know, to them that, you know, have potential and something we can execute on. Right. We have to be able to build it, support it as well. Uh, sitting here thinking that the, I think the first, I think the first loader, front end loader came out in the real early 60s. And as I looked at the website, and I hadn't done it for a long time, I, I was really clueless as to how expansive the uh, equipment choices that you have. I'm just going to read them real quickly, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. So compact equipment, compact loaders, compact excavators, compact tractors, telescopic handlers, zero-turn mowers, soon to probably be autonomously uh, driven, by mm-hmm. the way, utility products, and light compaction. It that That's a pretty ex- expansive um inventory if you will mm-hmm. is is all of that equipment kind of universally um sold and marketed through your company in terms of globally it's not just the united states it, it's everywhere mm-hmm. yeah it's global that's us yeah i mean we have now certain dealers have different product lines you know depending on you know, mowers are a little different than a track loader and so we have some different distribution outlets for those, but those are all, we all are through independent dealers across the globe. Our European headquarters is in Prague, outside of Prague in the Czech Republic. Um, and of course we're owned by Doosan, which is Korean based and that's in Seoul, South Korea is where our, our global headquarters is. But our North American headquarters is in West Fargo, right along the interstate here. Um, but we uh, we manage all of that um, for uh, for Bobcat. And for the most part, all of the equipment, all of the that list I just read, 
that is available through independent dealers. Correct. So the ind- the independent dealer, for example, Swanson Equipment is right mm-hmm. in uh, Fargo, been around mm-hmm. uh, quite a while. That type of a customer is is that almost the the, the first line of input and critique because they they own the dealership they're uh, selling your product they're on the on the front line with the customer that's using them Mm -hmm. and they hear pros and cons are they some of the first places that you turn to to get information about what's working what isn't and what what should we do next yeah absolutely no we take their feedback and when we're doing a customer event, we're inviting the dealers, the local dealers in those areas to come with. The dealer will have a maybe a little different perspective than the end user. And to your point, they see lots of customers every day. And so they they might hear some things collectively, which which help us out. So absolutely we value the input from our from our dealers. We have a great dealer network and I had the opportunity to to be a part of that when I was in sales is to manage help manage that. And so um being able to relay back them with those dealers on some of these concepts has been, you know, really helpful. I had meant to ask this earlier when we were talking about the acceleration center in Bismarck and going back to the, you know, the, the round room with it's all whiteboards and nothing mm-hmm. is stationary because you're moving around, you're brainstorming. I call it brainstorming, and maybe that's an old-fashioned term because I'm an old guy. But um, I, I'm going to assume because in you know innovation is it rules what you do, and and with if you're not innovating, whether it's do something Bobcat or something else, you got a problem because your competitors are. Did, do, do you encourage a lot of spontaneous type of brainstorming and collaborating in the place like the Acceleration Center? And that helps create some of the newest ideas that you, you do the prototypes with? Is that what you yeah. do? Yeah, that's exactly why we made that facility the way we did to create, I believe it's either Harvard or MIT said chance encounters. So great innovation comes from a chance encounter where you have a colleague or someone and you bump into them and you go, Hey, I was thinking of this or, Oh, Hey, I saw you at the coffee machine. And, Oh, I was thinking about this other thing here or this project. And so however we can facilitate all of those informal interactions is all part of our overall strategy. It shouldn't happen just in a meeting. Like we don't have meetings just to say, well, let's come up with innovation ideas. Like that is, we we never do that. That's not what we do. Um, we bring in groups of employees to that round room that you mentioned, and and so that's one of the places where we do some. We do some more prescript. We'd call more prescriptive brainstorming, where we have a problem or a need. Maybe we already have some ideas. How might we solve this? But now let's bring all the smart people together to sit down and really sort through what's the best solution. How do we go through it? Let's interpret the data all those things and get very, very prescriptive around, all right, what are we trying to solve and why and how do we do that? By the way, growing up in region, did you grow up on a, on a farm? Yeah, I did. Yep, sure did. And you, did you want a farm after school? Oh, I was the youngest. My oldest brother was oh. taking over the farm. That was predetermined. 
I think my dad. I think my dad said you have to go to college. So I. So I. I went to NDSU. Oh, uh, just this is totally off the subject. It just. You just made me think of. I, I was the youngest, so I, I. I met this fellow who also was an SU grad and an incredibly gifted track athlete, and I happened to know his dad, and I asked him one day. Um. Hey, did he did he get his athletic skill from you? He said, "No, not really." I said, well, "Did you compete in sports in high school?" He said, "No, we had a dairy farm, and every time I brought up sports, Dad bought more cows and cattle." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I never got I never got a chance to do that. What drew you to in what what drew you to engineering and then the ag economy piece because that that was that's a brilliant combination, in my opinion. Well, I always knew I wanted to do something technical, um, you know, with whatever I was going to be involved with. I guess I didn't envision I was going to work at Bobcat. Um, but, you know, as I got through my engineering curriculum, it became pretty clear that I wanted to do something more focused on the business aspect of it and marketing, whatever that might be. Um and uh, and so I got a master's degree in ag econ, and so that I think that's helped connect a few dots for me. And then I ended up ended up um, 26 years ago applying and getting the job at Bobcat. And and so what we do in our company is we enable people to do what their passion is. And and so I've moved around with the company a number of times and took some different roles and gave me some cross functions and. You know, what, what I like to say, what we do up here is we connect dots. We connect the dots between customer needs and technology, along with some of our current solutions to enable a new solution. That's really what we're, all we're trying to do up here. And that's, that's all I'm trying to do is put the smart people that develop all this stuff on my team and the other teams we work. It's not just my team. It's, it's all the other functions within the company, um, to working together to, Hey, let's build the best product we possibly can to make our customers more productive. That's what that's what our mission is every day. Did you do an internship while you were at NDSU at uh, what back then it was just called Bobcat? Did you did you have an opportunity to do that, or did you apply for a job as you were graduating? No, I, I applied for a job. My my old my next older brother works here also, and he started five years, four or five years before I did. So I had a little bit of a little bit of experience. Um, with the company, and then some of my college classmates interned, interned here, so as well. So I, it's a small company. We hire lots of NDSU grads, um, so it's uh, there's a lot of classmates that are uh, we're colleagues now. Well, there's a good reason for that. NDSU has an incredible engineering department, uh, ag econ. I mean, it's but. It's all about ag and equipment, right? And you couldn't you really, it's hard to find a better institution to uh, dig into the talent pool that also has kind of that North Dakota work ethic kind of thing. By the way, did you we joke, a- we, we joke about it. I'll interrupt. Uh, sorry, but we, we, we joke about it, you know, and I, I travel globally and, and we spend a lot of time at Silicon Valley and we meet really, really smart people. And sometimes we joke with ourselves, well, but the dumb farmers in North Dakota came up with a pretty good idea too. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, what I, I would put, 
our organization from a technical standpoint, the whole organization up with anybody globally. Like, like, and we've had a lot of experience. We've talked to a lot of smart people. We got some smart people and the majority of them are based in North Dakota. It's yeah. what we do. Like we, we, I, I don't think people realize how much, how much innovation and stuff is led by a North Dakota based company and what's led in Fargo, Gwinner, Wapiton, Bismarck, you know, our sites that we have here in the state. Uh, you know, you mentioned Silicon Valley. I'm going to assume that when, when you're traveling to collaborate or whatever the purpose of the trip is for, because you can't do everything internally. It, it, I guess you could, but it, when, whenever you, you I, I think whenever we have an opportunity to build a relationship with some type of a firm where they're scary, smart, or whatever, they have talent. Sometimes building a relationship where you can exchange without having to acquire the company necessarily is a good thing. So do you do that quite a bit where you build these relationships so there's a, a way to collaborate back and forth? Yes, we do. Yeah, we absolutely we do. Um, some of it's with our suppliers, but within within my team, we build more formal relationships around development, partnering together for some different technologies. We may not we may not pay them anything. Like it's just the chance to work on our equipment. There's a lot of people that there's a lot of people trying to do lots of things with our equipment to put technology on it, and they just want to take the chance. And so then they get to work directly with us. In some cases, we do do formal joint development agreements, or we make an investment. We've invested in a number of startups um, to being able to get some exact expertise and technology that we want to pull into our equipment that maybe we don't have. I mean, that's that's really what's important is we need to know what we're good at. And we build, we build really good equipment, and we've been doing it a long time. And we have a lot of really core technologies. But in the new world, with all these other new technologies, we just... We just can't hire enough people fast enough in some ways. And so we've went out and we partner or we invest and and do that with some some certain pieces that we wanna we wanna bring in. Oh you, the question I was gonna ask you, did you have a skid steer on the farm? We did not growing up. They do now. They oh. have a couple <laughs> of them. They have a couple of bobcats. Okay. Bobcat skid steer loaders today. Data, collecting data is important in everything. I'm assuming uh, in your corporation, it's critically important as well. It It is. and um, But I'll give you the caveat. At some point, if you're going to do real innovation, the data doesn't exist. So how do you build a product where there is no market or no one knows that it's available? And so sometimes you got to sometimes you got to triangulate the points a little bit more and take some chances. And and we talk about at some point, somebody's got to believe in something. Like mm -hmm. we have to like take some things forward. And, and our management team here has been very good about supporting and saying, you know what? We're going to take some things forward knowing that we might fail at some of them. <laughs> and hopefully we don't. Um, but, you know, you're, you're going to have to take some chances. If you're going to be really innovative, then you're going to get way outside your comfort zone. Again, data doesn't exist. Competitors don't have it. Well, how do you know this is going to work? Well, you can you can also control your risks and you know the number of units, things like that, and you do some things to control risk. But but that is a part of this. It's it's data and 
we like to say there's some pieces of data, but then there's other places where you don't have it all. And that takes some chances. Yeah, innovation requires risk and some and being innovative sometimes requires failure too. That's some of the best ways we learn sure. is we fail at something, right? Sure. With regard, um, we talked a little bit about this, I think, before we started. Uh, I know young, scary, smart folks that have um, interned at your company, and many of them now work there. So this is kind of to, to push out to prospective employees of the future. When when your company is looking at filling intern roles, what are the things that the qualities of candidates that are most important to you? And I know you're not the HR guy, but what, mm -hmm. what, are, what are those qualities that are important to you that are important to the company that you're looking for? Well, first thing I'll say is we have a really good internship program. Our co-op program is really solid and it's supported across all the different functions within the company. Our HR team does a great job because that is our feeding ground. And it's a two-way street. Some, some young people or whoever, if they intern and we're a heavy manufacturer, we also do technology. That's not for everyone. That's okay. People intern, hey, not for us or other people. Hey, I love it. And so I think we're looking for passion first. We're looking for somebody that believes we're a brand, right? And we talk about our brand, our brand. We talk about bleeding white. We talk about, you know, the passion of the Bobcat brand. And we want to see that in people. And again, smart people. We know they went to college. They have all those, you know, the, the textbook kinds of things. But do they have the work ethic? Do they have the other, the passion? We look, we're, I would say we're looking more for um, the attitudes. Um, from that standpoint. And I, we've been really good. You know, if, if, if someone has a different position for an intern, or maybe they have several interns and they don't have a role, we're really good about, hey, we've got this good candidate. Let's not lose this person. Let's find. Okay. So we'll find a spot for them. If they fit our MO, we want to hire people from that, um, that have that type of background and, and that type of attitude. Again, we're not for everyone. Right. Like, and that's, that's okay. Um, but for the people we are, we want to make sure we maintain and keep a hold of it. So that internship program is really, really important for us from that standpoint. You just said something that struck a real responsive chord for me about when you find someone, you might not have a role for them, but they're, they're, they're the kind of person we want. Let's see wh where they might fit. I used to work for a guy that he built his company that way where he'd see Joel Honeyman. And and didn't have a spot for him right now. And other departments in his company didn't have a spot for him. But the last thing he wanted to do was have to compete against Joel and say, we, we might not have a spot right now, but let's bring him on board because we'll probably need him in two or three years. So the fear, there was fear. I don't want to compete against him. And then I want him here so to make sure I don't have to compete against him. Let me ask you this question, Joel. You started 26 years ago, and I'll go back even a little bit further. When when you were probably in middle school or high school, 1983, that's when the first cell phone became available. It was like $4,000, um, and it, it wasn't really commercially available because it was a big thing, kind of clumsy, and we had $4,000 for a phone. It was about 
10 years later where it really became commercialized and everybody started buying them. So you've been there 26 years. And 26 years ago, your company is not the same company it was back then. As you look forward between customer needs, technology, disruptive technologies, what do you think the company will look and two, 26 years is too far to look forward. What do you think it will look like even five years from now? Yeah, that's the that's a, a good question. We struggle. I shouldn't say we struggle. We 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 work on that a lot. And we have we we had written something we call our inevitable future. And it was the three, five, and ten year views of how people are going to do work in the future. And we've written all of this, written all this out and thinking about these new technologies, you know, like AI, right? And now AI is really coming to the real AI is really coming to the forefront in the last several months. So now it's like, oh, now here's a new disruptive technology. And I think part of it is you can't be so prescriptive that, well, eight years from now, this is going to happen. No, eight months from now, something new might happen. And it's how do we react to that? We have to be nimble enough to think about that. And again, just think about, well, how's a, how's a contractor, a landscaper, a farmer, whoever it is that's using our equipment? How, what job are they going to need to get done? Is that job changing? And if so, how do we make it easier for them and better experience for them? I think that's what we have to keep thinking about with all these new technologies. And we also say, keep it simple. I know that's a cliche, but man, we just got to keep it simple for people. Whatever we do, you know, it's got to work for everybody. It's got to work for the owner, the crew person, the whoever the, the hired person might be running a piece of our equipment and just trying to make sure it works every single day as intended. And trying to balance those two, right? It's between this really futuristic technology and then I just I just got to dig a hole. I just got to get this trench stuff. I just got to stack bales. Just, you know, and then, okay, well, how do we come? Okay, I stack bales easier today. Thank you. You know, and so melding all those together. 26 years ago when you started, if somebody would have said, Joel, you're going to be the vice president of global innovation at back then, Bobcat, now Doosan Bobcat. And I want you to work on helping us carve out our niche in the electrified um, compact equipment space. And then after that, the autonomous. Would, would you have thought? What would you have thought if somebody would have said that 26 years ago? Well, I probably would have said electrified equipment is a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> probably would have been the first thing I would have said um, until I until I realized what the technology was. Um, yeah, I probably. But again, we. I, I'm a learner. Like you, you said, you like to learn. I like to learn too, and I'm always learning. Like, you know, and you got to keep your ears and your mind open. And I can tell you, even if I go back six, seven years ago. Oh, putting a battery in, like who's going to do that? You want to charge it? And then once we realized there was more to it, like, and again, the electrification part is you don't have to sacrifice performance. In fact, your performance is better. Well, now I'm a believer. So I think it's, you have to experiment and realize what's going on. But I, I think reflecting back then would have been, been tough on some of these technologies. Yeah. I'm a lot more open-minded now. Well, people, if people haven't done research on the electrification of transportation, the very first electric vehicle 
was invented or created around 1832. Yes, so, that's correct. Know, it's been around a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Joel, if you had a magic wand, you could wave. I'm going to ask you a two-part question here. If you had a magic wand, you could wave over the head of prospective customers for your company. What's the one thing you really want them to know about Doosan Bobcat? Uh, that this brand has their back. Like they can count on us. They can count on the products that we're going to produce and they can count on us to take care and support them now and in the future. Mm. Like we're going to make them the most productive um, and in their, in their whatever they need to get done. The second part is the same magic wand. Now you're going to wave it over the heads of, let's say, two audiences. One, young folks in uh, college that are, they've they've noticed there's an intern opportunity, internship opportunity at Doosan Bobcat. Or there's somebody that's noticed there's a job opening um, at at, at Doosan Bobcat. What's the one thing you want them to know about that perspective opportunity? That this is a fun brand to be a part of and that, you know, and we do technology. Like, I don't think people realize that we are a technology company along with building this equipment. The two go hand in hand. And but that journey is a lot of fun. You're going to work hard, um, but it's fun to be a part of something that's really, really tangible and kind of in the the new world that everything's vapor or whatever, you know, and building software. I mean, we're still rolling out coil steel and bending and cutting metal at our plants and we are, we're good at it. And then we're adding this technology along with. So if you want to be a part of that journey and a part of a brand that the cool part is wherever you go in the world, you see our products and and, you know, we build now for the European market, we built in Czech, but a lot of those products are built in Gwinner or Bismarck, North Dakota, no matter where you are on the globe. And so you think about that whenever you're traveling somewhere and we're there on some dock somewhere in middle of Italy and oh, there's an 863 loader built in Gwinner, North Dakota, you know, and if you want to be a part of that, this is the place to come work. Joel, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, I've always enjoyed visiting with you. I think the world of your, I think the world of you, and I think the world of your company. And uh, if I wasn't such an old guy, I'd ask you, do you have any openings? And I could probably fill out a resume and, and submit it. But I, just, your company is so remarkable, and you have incredible talent there, including yourself. And the world is your oyster. You know, innovation is. I imagine somewhere in your company, you talk about innovation is what makes this rock and roll. And you guys just do amazing things. Appreciate you joining me today. And uh, will I see you at tailgating this year? I bet you will. I'm sure you will. There Stop by. Go. All right. Hey, go by. Joel, right. so, thank thanks, you so Mike. much. Appreciate your time. Yep. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.